All right. Welcome, everybody that's listening to the Fold and Chair podcast, sponsored by the Arkansas Public Policy Panel. I'm your host, Osiris Bali. And for those of y'all who are familiar with the phrase, who are or aren't familiar with the phrase, the phrase comes from, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And that's from one of our great leaders in our, uh, from black history, uh, Shirley Chisholm. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? Definitely want to lift that up. Cause right now, today at the table, we have a good friend of mine, uh, entrepreneur, businesswoman, leader in the community, uh, fashionista, uh, mother, all of that, all of that and more. We have Kato Momolu. How you doing, Kato? I am good. How are you? I'm blessed. I'm better than blessed. That's what they used to say back in the day. Yeah, better than blessed we are. Already. So we just going to hop right into it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We pop this off every time on the Folding Chair podcast. First segment is called Pick Six. You know, okay. for all the, all the football fans know where I get that phrase from. But these six uh, questions, you know what I'm saying? You just have fun with it and ask them how you feel, okay? All right. So question number one. What is your favorite fragrance? Oh, wow. It depends on what you're talking about. Cause you know, I got a favorite for this. When you ask a woman this, you gotta be specific. Okay. okay. So I'll, just go with, I'll go fragrance for like sense of like a space. I like really um, clean. So ocean and, and linen stuff like that. So fresh and renewed and just fragrances that don't follow you. They just make you feel amazing all day. Got you, got you. All right, and I'm gonna put that on my checklist next time. I gotta be more specific and <laughs> talk to women about that. All right, so um, question number two, pick six. Uh, tell me about what was your first job? Oh, my very first job. Oh God. Ooh. Well, actually, it was it was a good job. It was my, I worked for my mom. She uh, started her own uh, resource center for immigrant women in Canada. So I just got out of fashion school, and I guess she wanted to kind of stick it to me a little bit and make sure she, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. So she gave me my first job as a fashion design teacher. So I taught immigrant women coming into Canada, um, you know how to sew, how to design, how to cut. And it was humbling for me because I was in their position years before when we went to Canada, we were refugees as well. So it was kind of like her helping me to learn what it was to pay for for it. That's what's up. That's a dope first job too, man. Yeah. Um, dope, dope, man. I got a lot of friends that work with you know, immigrant rights advocacy groups, man. So I'm wondering if they ever yeah, cross paths with you. Sure. Yeah. All right. Question number three on pick six. Um, tell me about a time or who was the one celebrity that you were like most excited to meet? Oh my God, period always, it's always been Oprah Winfrey and I never thought I'd get to meet her. And I actually got to go, she had a series when her show ended where she had like the last few days and um, random, I was at this event and um, some tickets got auctioned off and I was sitting next to these people, you know, I love, I can cackalack with anybody. So we've been cackalacking the whole time and she got the, she got those tickets. They were like 4,000 or $6,000 or something. She goes, you got to come with us. I was like, are you sure? Cause I am coming. <laughs> Don't offer me that I'm not coming. So I got to go meet her and it was amazing. Um, so yeah, Oprah, Oprah for the win. That's dope. That's dope right there. All right. 
Shout out to Oprah. Question number four. What's the craziest challenge or dare that you've accepted? Oh, wow. I don't get a lot of dares in my personal life. So I would have to go back to like my Project Runway days where um, we had to make uh, clothing for drag queens. And, you know, I'm pretty open to everything, but I never made anything for you know, a man dressed in drag. And I thought for sure I was going home, but I aced it. I was in the top three. So that was actually the, my biggest thing I ever got to do. It wasn't a dare, but it was a challenge, but um, I aced it. So yeah. Got you. I had to throw that other word in there, challenge, because I know, you know, some people don't play the, the truth or dare. No. You know, games, so I was like, I don't yeah. either. <laughs> I'd rather just drink the drink. <laughs> already, already. You know what I'm saying? I already know the deal. So, um, question number five, um, pick six. Give me one thing that's like on your bucket list. Oh my God, I wanna just check around the world and just see the world for a year. I wanna take my kids out of school and just see this beautiful earth that we have that um, we're not gonna see everything, but that's always, I want to have enough money to be able to just do that. Run my business from my computer and see the world. Take my kids to Africa, every country as possible and see Asia and Europe and South America. I'm really a believer that, you know, these things that are here, you see it on TV, but when you see it with your eyes, it's like, it's amazing. I think that itself would be better than college. Yeah. Yeah. Dope, dope, dope. Yeah. International travel. That's, that's, it's always a good thing to have on the bucket list yeah. right there for sure. All right. Great answer so far. So we at the last question to pick six. Question number six. Okay. So, you know what I'm saying? You got to use your imagination a little bit. Not not a whole lot, but just a little bit. Um, you got a big event that you're mm -hmm. prepping for. It's, you know, it's the event day. And, you know, you got to wake up and, you know, you got to do your thing, man. You got to get stylish, you know, get jazzed up, all of that. And on your way to your event, you got to, you know, Get yourself mentally prepared. Yeah. And so you just, you know, you're on your trip. What's the song that's going to give you that motivation and inspiration to re-up? It's going to get you amped up. What you got to play to take you there mentally so you can just be on, on 100? Oh, wow. Well, it could be, uh, it's a mix of two songs. It depends what, what event I'm going to, because, you know, I can go here and I can go there. But um, Bob Marley always takes me there so that, song three little birds usually when i'm just stressed and i just feel like i can't take it no more it just really calms me but like if i'm going to something where i know i got to compete i know all my haters are going to be there the blogs are talking it has to be that hate on me by um jill scott already <laughs> already you know what i'm saying that's a good little right. balance you gave, yeah. me, you gave me two songs you know what I'm saying depending on the mood but two good songs yeah. i can't can be go real chill but i can i can get hood with you too Hey, you got to have that balance to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hey, so dope. That's our end of pick six right there, man. Thank you for agreeing to be here with me today. And um, we just want to get right into it. So, you know, I've been knowing you for years and uh, I've been, had the pleasure to, you know what I'm saying, uh, attend a lot of events, support when you were doing things on TV. And, you know what I'm saying, you, you've carved out a nice career uh, as a as a designer, um, yeah. but you know, saying for those who may not be familiar with your story and your background, can you just give me a little bit about your story, your background, and, and how you uh, became a designer? 
Well, um, I'm originally from Liberia, West Africa. I've always been creative um, as long as I can remember. And there was a point um, in my childhood where there was like a civil unrest in my country. My father worked for the government. Um, my sisters and brothers and I were actually blessed enough to be shipped to Canada to go to school. Um, and while we were there, a coup broke out. So my dad and my mom and my younger siblings had to escape. And we lost everything, you know, including like our dreams at the moment, because um, once we were able to leave Liberia and we landed in Canada as immigrants, my parents didn't have anything. We didn't have that status anymore. We didn't have the money. And there was actually a woman at my church that my mom showed my sketchbook to. And uh, she's, she looked at it and just said that um, she wanted to help pay for my college. So she actually put me through design school. Mm -hmm. I actually gave up on my dreams because I didn't think it was going to happen. You know, you just thank God your family got out okay. And that was enough for me. That's all I prayed for. So for ha to have somebody else, you know, see something in me um, and believe in me to put me through school. And that's how it started. I started school. I worked and um, kind of did little shows and and did this here and did this there, made this for people. Eventually I ended up moving here to Little Rock, Arkansas um, and started the same thing, started paving my way. When I came here, there was really no fashion scene here. So my husband at the time was like, you just gonna have to, you have to build that brick, that brick wall, you know, that brick, yellow brick road. Like it's not there, you're gonna have to pave it. And um, almost as a dare in a way, I kind of just did it because I felt like it wasn't going to happen. I didn't see the promise here. I'm sorry, y'all. I didn't see it, but I did. You know, I put myself out there. I started meeting people. I had a show and people came. And one person that came to that first show I had, it was at Lula before it became Lula, um, was Helene Williams from the Arkansas Gazette. And she wrote this coming out story about me. And literally that pushed my career in a direction I never could imagine. Cause after that it was, you know, Arkansas Times and a soiree. And then eventually I built the courage up to audition for Project Runway and go on. And I was able to go on and I finished second. And that gave me international status like overnight. You know, I never imagined being famous. I never wished for it. I just wanted the money to, you know, start my line, but um, it's taking my career in directions that I never thought I would go in. I never imagined the things that I was able to do. So if anyone is listening, dream, dream big, but God always has things bigger. You know, whatever your dreams are, dream the impossible because it's going to be beyond that. The things I've been able to do and say I've done, I never dreamt for it. I never prayed for it, but it's been my calling and my, my, my life story. So I'm grateful for it. Yo, that's, that's, that's real dope, man. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I always tell people, you know what I'm saying? Especially when working with the youth, I say, man, you know, you got to have a radical imagination yeah. because, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's great for the youth to feel like they can do anything and anything is possible. You can accomplish whatever you want to just dream and work hard. But a lot of times with adults, we start like life experiences start telling us like that ain't realistic. Don't do it. That's too risky. That's yeah. a gamble. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a total conflict of like how you bring up kids and then once you become adult, like lower your expectations, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I have real African parents. They were like, you know, my dad's like, I'm not paying for you to go draw all day. And like my parents didn't know my gift. It was yeah. never nature. You know, I was, I would hide it at school and win awards at school and nobody would know at home. You know I mean? Like I was like the bomb at school. Um, but nobody knew at the house because it wasn't accepted or it wasn't going to be celebrated. It's going to look down on. So yeah, you got to, if it is what you want to do, just keep it in your heart and do it. Your life will find a way for it to pave out. 
Dope, dope. I, I I think a lot of people can relate to that too, because you know, school and home are two different environments. And so we yeah. we 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 do we get into ourselves and who we are as people at school, and then we come home, we kind of shut yeah, back home. down, you know. <laughs> it's the house rules, you know what I'm saying? Yes. But let me ask you this right here. Um, you know, so what you know, you talk about as a kid, you know, you won awards and you were doing it at doing your uh, your designing your art at school. But what drew you to that career? I had a really dope art teacher that nurtured me. Like she saw me going in that direction. We used to have to give like weekly sketchbook entries. And I remember seeing, it was an Oscar De La Renta painting in a magazine of his design. So it wasn't pictures. And I remember just being in awe of it and I emulated it. And after that, I just kept doing it and doing it. And she said, I think you're going into fashion design. So she actually helped me build a portfolio so I could have something relevant enough when I graduated to actually, you know, go to a design school and apply. Got you, got you. And so, you know, you talked about in, in, your, in your beginnings, you know what I'm saying, moving to Little Rock and, uh, you know, originally your home country where you're from, Liberia. And so like, did you find it difficult adapting to like the culture of the South, like being a black woman in the South, being an artist, an entrepreneur? Did you find it like different from like, I know you went to the East Coast at one point and you said you went to Canada too. Did you find it difficult to adapt to like, like the Southern way of life? Yeah, it was definitely different. We lived in North Carolina for like two years, but I was young, but I think once moving here, you know, I was used to like the New York, LA movement of things, like things move quickly. If I needed something, I could actually dream it, think it, get it. Whereas here I could dream it, think it, mm, I don't know where I'm gonna find it. So I had to find somewhere else to go get it. It was definitely harder. Um, my mind is, is not, there's not a cap on it. I don't live in a box. And I felt like in certain ways, some people, not everybody were kind of in that box. I had to be in the box to be in the group or I had to be this, and I was different. You know, everywhere I went, people would say, so, oh, you talk different, oh, you dress different, are oh, you fancy, are oh, you this? And it was just like, I was just being mean. I felt like I was being criticized for being mean. So at some point I felt like I did. I'm not even gonna, I felt like I did. I dumbed myself down. So I would have not have to deal with that, being the attention every time I walked in a room and just being mean and people think I'm being fancy or, you know, extra. Um, I remember dating my husband um, in Canada and I used to wear heels in my jeans. He goes, you, only, you don't even dress your jeans down. You got heels on, but I'm like, I, you know, I just got out of being a tomboy, you know, like a few years before. So I was all in being a girl. And I don't know, it was just, it was hard. I got used to it. And I think, you know, over the years, now I'm actually looking at myself and like, okay, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now I just show up how I'm going to show up. And you're just going to have to take me as I am or not at all. Nah, that's, that's real. I, I think, man, you know what I'm saying? One thing about the South, you know what I'm saying? I'm, Definitely, you know, saying uh, somebody raised in the South and, you know, I'm used to it. But, you know, when you a lot of when you stand out in the South, a lot of times and, you know, especially in conservative areas or whatever, you know, it's always that that the eyeballs always switch towards you. Like even in Arkansas, man, I travel a lot, travel around a lot and just going to like certain cities in certain towns. It's like they know as soon as you step out the car you were out of town or you were foreign or something because yeah. you could just see it in your swag, the way you dress, the way you talk, yeah. just, your, just your whole body language and everything, so. Yeah, real chill, which I appreciate the chillness. It has helped to chill me out quite a bit, but um, 
You know, sometimes I like to be up and up and up. I got you. I got you. (laughs) So, you know what I'm saying? You came from humble beginnings, you know what I'm saying? And the Project Runway was like a turning point in your career where it like gave you just international exposure. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just, you know what I'm saying? Talk, tell me more like about like after that experience and like what were like some of the obstacles that like that you saw that were in your way as being like a black woman designer in the industry that's uh, pretty much like white male dominated when you think about designers. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is white male dominated and, you know, being black and then being African and being a woman, it was like three strikes against you. You know, I know my white counterparts on the show who, you know, may have been more talented or less talented, but they just got doors open quicker or, Things were just available to them. Agencies were ready to sign them. Whereas for me, I had to ask and then go through the process. Whereas some people can just walk through the door. But I feel like, you know, with, with when you were talented, when you have a talent, at some point it can be denied. And I think in so many ways, when I left the show, like they were getting bombarded with calls about me and, and to do this and do that. And at some point they could not deny me. They had to tell them my information because people really wanted to to help me to come up, you know, and to help me come up. Um, but yeah, it's out there, it's still there now, you know, and then being an African designer, you know, I can't be African and be a designer. God forbid I do a Kente cloth uh, collection. Somebody's gonna have something to say about it, but a Michael Kors does it, it's genius, it's, it's avant-garde, it's this and that. But um, that was a huge thing I had on the show, just being me and being African and being who I am. Anyone who's ever known me, I've always used cultural influences in what I design, even if it's just little, little details or big details. And I find like on the show, I had to fight for that. I had to fight to make clothes for women that look like me, you know what I mean? For, you know, a supermodel hosting a show doesn't look at me and see beauty in me. She sees thick thighs. So there was always a fight for that. There was a fight for everything, being too black or being too African and just being too feminine, you know? So... The struggle continues, but um, I think I've made a mark and I have a voice that I put out there. And I think people finally are starting to see that beauty is just what it is. Yeah, yeah, and and you hit the nail on the head because you talked about like, you know, when you first were starting Little Rock and you just, you know, your first your first show was at Lula back in the day, you know, that spot's gone now. But I think that was my first time coming to your, fa- I don't even re- remember quite the story about how I ended up at your fashion show. All I know is yeah. I, got, I got some free tickets. It was mediums, because I was at mediums. I invited the entire mediums. I'm like, y'all need to come support me. Uh, <laughs> that's right. And it was packed out. And that yeah. was packed out, but it was, it, it was dope. And that's one of the first things I remember about seeing your fashion. I was like, I'm gonna be a fan of her. Cause I, I hadn't heard of you. I had heard of you. But I didn't know about your designs and what you like. I never yeah, saw anything, not to my knowledge. Ever. You say what? I said that was my first show ever. But I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be kind of very New York, but still show who I was. So that's why I was like, I found these African drummers. Yeah, I had dancers. Like I wanted it to be an experience. I wanted my show to always be like when you leave, they'd be like, "Damn, where are we gonna go now? How are we gonna top this?" You know what I mean? I wanted it to be like a, a vibe. Before yeah. being a vibe was even the thing, you know? And I think I hit it on the nail. I was very proud of myself. That was actually my most favorite show I've ever done because it was so authentically um, organic. Yeah, and and like you said, you know what I'm saying, you make clothes for people who are like you. And so one thing that I always admired about you is 
that you, your fashion, you know what I'm saying, you challenge the European standards of beauty. And, and that's big in, in the fashion world because, you know what I'm saying, everybody ain't one size, you know what I'm saying, everybody don't come at this height and, you know what I'm saying, and there are differences between cultures and everything, but you always like showing like the African roots and, and uh, just having diversity, even in the models. And, and yeah. so would you say that you like were like a trendsetter as far as like doing that? Because like you people come to your shows and they see different size models, uh, diversity in, in the clothing and the style. Would you say that you like are a trendsetter in that realm of fashion? Definitely. Um, I felt like I needed to be the change I wanted to see. Like when I had my daughter, I remember um, me and my friends went to LA for this girl's trip. I lost all this weight and went and Beyonce came out with um, Darion James. And um, I was like, yeah, those gonna fit me. Mm -hmm. She know what I'm talking about. Got to LA, got to the, the change room, tried it on and those jokers didn't even pass my, my, my knees. There was no stretch. And I just felt like I got played. You know what I mean? Here's this girl with this shape selling stuff to us and then there's, there's nothing to even accommodate you know my body and I'm like why are you even in this change room crying you make clothes you can design stuff so I just decided I was going to be that change and I was going to make clothes that if I can't wear it I'm not putting it on the runway because to me that's just being fake you know what I mean there's all these women that look like me that can only buy one kind of jeans Levi's or this because it has all this stretch um, we needed to have more options. I felt like if you're going to complain about it, do something about it. You know, we all have complaints, but who's really out here doing something to change what they're complaining about? And I knew I couldn't just, um, just make stuff for skinny girls because I wasn't skinny. I didn't want my daughter to think that that's how it was either because she would have body image issues as well. So it was important to me to just put my money where my mouth was, literally through my hands and my art and um, stick with it, you know, all the way to now. I got you. I got you. And so, like, you know, um, with making those, you know what I'm saying, those impressions out there in the fashion industry, I, I look at it like, you know what I'm saying, Black people, like, in all aspects of art, you know what I'm saying, we, we looked at, like, when, when people want to go to that next level in their career, whether it be music, acting, or whatever, it's like they looked at the Black uh, at, the, at the black uh, crowd and, and see what's going on in the network because we kind of invent the new cool. But like, like, what ways do you see, like, uh, as far as like the, in the fashion industry, how they capitalize our black culture, but at the same time, the inclusion part is not still there where it needs to be. Like, what ways do you see that happening? They just capitalize our black culture, the ideas, you know, uh, just our movements, artistic wise. But you know, you st we still not seeing the inclusion of us as being at the forefront. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's everywhere. It was. It's been there. Like all the African influences. You know, they robbed so much from Africa. But God forbid you try to come over here and get a green card is a problem. You know what I mean? Um, from the cocoa all the way to the kente cloth. You know, the, there was a huge thing this last um, menswear collection where the designer for. Louis Vuitton, who is a male whose father is from Ghana, he used kente cloth in it to pay tribute to his Ghanaian heritage, but he used printed kente, which the people in Ghana were like, 
You know what I mean? Like we don't do printed kente. That comes from China. So it was just like a huge miss. So I think it's like, if you're going to take from us, at least one, people were saying, why not go to Ghana and have all those weavers weave it and pay those artisans so that you can have a story that isn't just stealing, but actually paying tribute for real, giving the resources to the people who actually work for this stuff and not some China made or wherever they decided to reprint the print. You know, so stuff like that, I think if you're going to take it, because, yeah, we're, we're dope people. We have dope things and they can steal all they want because we come up with doper stuff. You know what I mean? Like we come up with sayings and slangs. They take it. We don't say it no more. And then we find some new stuff. So if you if you see the trend here, we are where it's at. So instead of constantly keeping us away from the table, out of the room, away from the entire venue or the come up, invite us in. And then we can show you how to do it in the right way where everybody gets a break. Everybody gets to come up. Everybody gets paid. Everybody gets their due credit. And no one's sitting in the corner feeling like they were just raped. Got you, got you. And, and so, well, let me ask you this also as well. And so, of course, you know, like last year, uh, during 2020, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is like what you're mentioning. This is like kind of, was kind of like the conversation around everything last year during 2020 mm -hmm. after uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, a bunch of protests, you know, uh, all of a mm -hmm. sudden Black Lives Matter, you know, mm -hmm. summertime, it was real big. Every institution in, in every inch, industry and genre or whatever, there was this, I, it wasn't even a call, but it was like this mad, it was like this mass like urge, like people kept, felt like they were getting pushed in the back, like, we in solidarity yeah. with black people. It's we black lives do matter. And so, yeah. but at the same time, it wasn't just about making that statement because mm -hmm. you know, we've seen so much symbolic and performative uh stances and statements and you know, days and stuff like that in, in yeah. our lives. Uh it was about like, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Um, in every industry. And so do you feel like people in the fashion industry, or did you notice anybody in the fashion industry that's really just stepped up and like, you know what? I've been talking about including more, uh, you know, allowing uh, more diversity in my company, including black people more. Did you mm -hmm. see anybody actually step up in the fashion industry and say, I'm gonna change what, uh, what the norm has been and I'm gonna actually, you know, put my money where my mouth is basically. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like a double-edged sword. It was like, it was good and it was bad. Cause you, you had like a Vogue magazine that gave a million dollars to um, the owner of Holland Fashion Row to disperse among black designers in grants, helping them with more resources to build their businesses. And I've actually seen these designers definitely come up. Some of them are in sacks now. So the revenue was used for those who had been there. Then you have like a Joanne's Fabric where I shop who weren't saying anything in the beginning, um, but at some point you had like a Mimi G who's one of their um, influencers saying, I'm not doing business with y'all unless y'all say something. It, it made everybody kind of come out and you had to say what your stance was. Cause it was at a point where if you weren't saying nothing it meant that it was bad. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm glad that it forced everybody to see who was who mm -hmm. and who was doing what. Um, if it was just a last year thing, because I was actually a recipient of a grant from Joann's um, uh, that they did, and apparently it's going to be an ongoing thing. 
Um, but obviously you, then you have like your white counterparts who are saying, well, what about us? You know what I mean? But people don't really understand this. So I think if you're gonna do it, do it where there's education, do it where you're not just doing it to get checked off. Like, okay, well they did something, check off. Um, what does your executive panel look like? You know, when I come to Joanne's or I come to Vogue, who's there? And if they're not there, be like the Vogue editor and say, you know what, we haven't done that. And we're, we're at fault for that and we're gonna do better, but actually do better. Who's keeping the count for who's supposed to be doing better and ain't done better because it just gave some money. Because you can give anybody some money, you're just getting paid off, you know what I mean? But the long-term to me is where it's at. If you're not gonna do a long-term and you're not gonna see these changes in management, then it really didn't freaking matter because y'all just did it so nobody would boycott you, wouldn't lose no money. Because I think a lot of it was money started getting lost. Because I do find a problem with, you know, places that are selling like Juneteenth gear now, like Walmart has a whole Juneteenth section with plates and, and paper cups and all that. But at the end of the day, if I'm trying to get into Walmart, why is it so difficult for me as a brand to do that? I don't care about these cups. <laughs> that half my, my race works here. You know what I mean? When I come for the night shift, there's all of us in there, but none of that matters. Who's that management? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Who's that management? Yeah, nah, you speaking truth oh. to power, straight up. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no, you're good. That was it. I was just like, yeah, give some money, great. But what happens in 2021 and 22, 23? What happens moving forward? What happens when my daughter needs a job now or is a creative and she needs to get into Target? You know, I, I'm going to stay away from Target because at least they're, 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 they're including us on the floor now. You have Black designers that have been on the floor. You, you see... Um, you see that's a company that cares about equal opportunity. When you go, you see ads that you see people that look like you, you know what I mean? They're not perfect, but at least we've seen it before 2020. They didn't just pop up last year. You can go in there 10 years ago and you would see images of black girls with natural hair. I can appreciate that. They're trying. Yeah. So now that everybody else is jumping on the wagon, they, they're already like light years ahead. So Talk to your other friends that have companies that have had inclusion and see how y'all can, you know, make it work. But I hope everybody's not falling for the okie duck with these coins. Nah, nah. Most coins gonna buy up. Nah, nah. I, I definitely feel you on that. You know, we gotta watch out for that. You know, Juneteenth just became that federal holiday. And so yeah. um, you know, like yeah. I said, another thing, you know, talking about symbolic gestures, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? Well, we need more productive policies and things that that address actually what we've been talking about. But, yeah. you know, once again, like, you know what I'm saying, I'm just kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I went to a conference here recently and um, <clears throat> the former CEO of BET, Deborah Lee, uh, I, I had an opportunity, she was on a panel. I was like, man, I'm definitely gonna listen to Deborah Lee and see what she has to say on this panel. Yeah. And uh, the, the first, one of the first things that she mentioned as far as like, pushing for more diversity and inclusion is, is she talked about you have to be active in creating more diverse boards of these businesses. Like if it ain't happening at the top, then it ain't, it ain't gonna trickle down to the bottom and it's not gonna be yeah. long-term, you know? So if your board is all white, that's where you need to start at off top. Or if your board got, you know what I'm yeah. saying, nine people and you only got one black person, you know what I'm saying, we need to look at ways where we're going to integrate that board because that's the only way you're going to see right. change in these franchises, these chains, these big corporations and these companies. Yeah. 
it has to start at the top. And then I was like, you know what? She's right, you know? Yeah, Cause, cause well, you good for her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but, you she know. was part of the problem at some point, you know what I mean, with, with BET. And I'm not sure how far her reach could go or what she could do, but I mean, um, yeah, have that's, our own station, and our own station is a part of the problem. That's not a good thing. Hey, and that's why I was so interested, to, like hearing what she had to say, because this was talking about going beyond the buzzwords and diversity and equity and inclusion, and everybody's yeah. trying to do that work now. And so when they had somebody from BET, I always talk to people about BET, and they don't like my stance sometimes. But it's like yeah. you know, I'm looking at it like you know, black entertainment television you know, for us, by us, we need to be showing people how it's done. And when we ain't doing it ourselves, especially when it goes from black led to like, not even black owned, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's tragedy. Yeah, and so we that's have a to- whole other topic. Major <laughs> black brands that sell to other. Mm-hmm. You gonna sell, sell to somebody that looks like you so that they understand what the basis of what you're even doing is, is continuing on but why can't we continue to own anything like does the johnson and johnson family not own johnson and johnson yeah exactly because you know nepotism, <laughs> nepotism is real nepotism is real on the other side of things that's a whole other topic but i mean the, do the tyson great-grandkids not have ownership in tyson yeah most definitely. is it most owned by of. you know what i'm saying and you know, know yeah exactly and you know how it goes you know so i, I talked about uh, how I was like such a big fan of Versus and then they sold it to Triller and I was like, look, man, come on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, God, that money is going to run out, but the legacy of it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh. I mean, but it's something that we have to teach in our communities and, you know what I'm saying, and not selling, uh, not selling out. Uh, once yeah. you get to that, that level of success, we know the money is there, but we got to think about this long-term wise, do we really want to yeah. just make have that big payday or do we want to leave a legacy behind for us, you know what I'm saying, for an example behind really for other people to follow, so. Yeah, your net your network, there was a thing, I forgot her name, she has a book out right now. Um, I think it's a Rachel. But anyway, she was just talking about the value of like black families as opposed to white families and a white family's values at like 170, you know, thousand dollars at the minimum whereas the black family is like seventeen thousand. you know what i'm saying because we don't own anything and when you own something it's going to create value year after year and especially like with verses like come on it started in the car y'all was just fooling around in the car battling each other bored during quarantine and it turned into something major now it's like a daggone concert and you sell that to somebody you sold the culture to them that's how they come in and find everything about your culture and steal it. Cause you, we let them in the front door, tap dancing and tambourine shacking and all of that hooping hollering. Oh, they're here. Why are they even here? Who invited them? <laughs> hey, that's what I'm about to say, man. You gotta revoke those invites to the cookout. Everybody, okay. everybody is supposed to be there. To lunch and dinner, lunch <laughs> meetings. Nobody <laughs> said nothing about the cookout. When we get to the cookout, that's when we talk about what we had at lunch at the meeting. Yeah, most definitely. Oh most definitely. But you, but you know what I'm saying? You said something that was real too. I got to go just take it back just a little bit and we ain't got to just dwell on it. But it's like when you, I, I look at it like this right here. I've been blessed 
to, uh, you know what I'm saying, take it from my activism in the streets to take it to actually be a policy advocate now. Mm-hmm. And so I know this is not the end of my story. I'm gonna have to, uh, you know, I'm gonna continue to like elevate and go higher and uh, do be able to do more in my community. But mm-hmm. when I leave this position, I'm looking for, I'm supposed to be looking for my replacement. I, I, really, yeah. I really need to be almost handpicking my replacement or at least saying hit the top five candidates. That right there, that right there. That's <laughs> what I'm saying, that right there. Like, you know, the Democrats dropped the ball. Like we should be training people right now that should be in the trenches. Yeah. Four years is down the street. We're already about to be in 2022. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So who's being trained? Who's being lifted up? And you know what I mean? Why is Obama not having like summer camp? We need more of our leaders teaching those coming up and saying, come, 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 come follow me for the day. Take Saturday off. Just follow me. Just watch. Take notes. So what did you learn today? All of that needs to be happening. Like, but we sit here and blame the next generation, but we never taught them nothing. You got kids who can't even do laundry now. <laughs> come on. Hey, it's all about grooming the next leaders, leadership exactly. development. And so as a mother, you know, so you talked about your, uh, you know, saying how, you know, your daughter grew up kind of seeing, you know, saying how it all started with you, you know, saying coming from humble beginnings and and just blowing up and to where you are now. As a mother, like, how do you, you know, saying talk to them and be real about, you know, saying what's going on in the world and 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 even in the fashion industry. And at the same time, how do you like, you know, even like let them know, like, look, you know what I'm saying, y'all my legacy, like this, I'm building this for us, for the family, for you. And, mm-hmm. and how do you encourage their creativity and know that they, you know what I'm saying, they coming behind you. So it's not putting pressure on them, but at the same time, you know, you letting you know, I'm leaving something for you to like continue to mold and continue to build on once I'm not here anymore, you know? It's tough because, I mean, I, I've never really sheltered my kids from stuff. I let them see it raw because that's how my parents raised me. And it toughened me up to just know so many different lessons. You know, obviously losing everything taught me that material things don't mean nothing if you're not alive, obviously. Um, but also it taught me to the plan, you know what I mean? To plan better and to have something. So God forbid something does happen. My kids don't have to suffer from, from zero all the way back up. But watching them, you know, watching them see what we do, they understand like entrepreneurship. And I think that's how I grew up. My parents always worked. My mom worked. So for me, it was never a doubt that I would work or have a business. It was just a norm. So I think when you make things normal to children, it's not abnormal. So no one can tell them they can't do this. Well, my mama did or my daddy did. You know what I'm saying? So when they when they do come to me and say, well, you know, I want to do this. I say, okay, well, let's do it. It's never like you can't do that. Even if it's as crazy as selling cupcakes on the moon, I think we have to be open enough to just see people's vision and their dreams and figure it out what the steps are. You don't have to be a baker to help somebody be a baker and open up their own shop, but there's some steps they need to do to start a business. That's the foundation. So I think we can all help each other. You don't have to be a professional in whatever somebody wants to do, but there's always a foundation that never changes regardless of the year, time, um, age, country you live in, financial status, there's just a foundation to doing stuff. If you're going to be an entrepreneur where this is what you need to do, this is the basic step of it. And if you don't do this, you can do whatever you want to do, but it will always come back to if this isn't solid, your foundation isn't solid, nothing's going to grow from it. So I think that's where we need to just focus on. 
do whatever you want to do, but let's start here. Let's talk about credit. Let's talk about, you know, ownership, you know, having things, you know, and let's talk about saving our money. You know, yeah, let's talk about wanting something, but having to go without so you can get it. All of that is a part of it. And I think that's why I try to tell my kids, like, money doesn't grow on trees. At some point, they just thought, well, just put it on your credit card. You know, they were both at that age. Just put it on your credit card. Well, this credit card ain't free. Somebody has to pay it too. And then you have to pay because you have to work. You have to make money. So, yeah, I think we just need to make kids understand that we're in the horrible time right now where it's all about money and status and, and labels and this and none of that stuff gets you anywhere and you can't take it with you. No none of that stuff is a legacy. There's nothing you want to be known as. Well, she had a great Gucci bag. Okay, and then what? Did she help anybody? Did she mentor any souls? Did she help anybody, you know, want to live another day who wanted to give up? All that, that stuff matters. Like, what do you leave here? What are they going to say about you when you leave this earth? I want, to, I want people to know I was here. Not because of a Gucci bag or a kimono I made, but by somebody's life that I changed. I want people to remember that I was actually here when I'm gone. And not because my kids, you know, carry me on and show pictures of me, but just in my work. I want to be something to someone other than the people that I have to be something to. No doubt. No doubt. And, you know, saying, um, I know with some of the work that I've done, you know what I'm saying, the, one of the biggest rewards is always being able to actually work with youth and young adults because, you know what I'm saying, they just have so much passion. And mm. and honestly, they got a, uh, honestly, man, they're easier to work with, a, with than adults because, you know what I'm saying, like their imagination just be like, and, they, and their leisure time is just on a whole nother level when they're young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're easier to work with. Yeah. But, uh, I, I honestly, I just want to know, like, you know, you know, I need that, that inspiration to re-up a lot of times from, you know, just working with the youth. Has there been points where, you know what I'm saying, like people have just reached out to you and say, hey man, you are inspi- you inspiration me. I look at you like a mentor, even if you don't know him or you like a yeah. hero to me, because when I saw you, you were the first person I saw on TV and I knew that's what I wanted to do too. And, and how does that make you feel when you hear like that from people? I mean, it makes me feel amazing. You know, when I left Project Runway, I didn't win. I came in second. I was sad. I came home. I just felt like, why? You know, woe is me, just really in the pits. And I started getting these emails from a lot of um, a lot of little girls, little boys, but it was the ones from the African girls that, that really caught me. There was this one girl, she was in high school and she wanted junior high actually and wanted to be a designer and just said that, you know, watching the show with her mom, her mom was saying the same things my parents were saying, you can't be a designer, you can't do it. And she said, because I watched that show with my mom, because of you being on there, I'm Liberian too. She's letting me go to fashion school now. Like everything's changed because of you. And I hear that a lot all the time. It really gives me a push to keep going because I didn't know what my purpose was. I only went on the show to win the money and start my line. I never intended to be famous or be nobody's mentor. Um, so to just see that that's what came of it. And then I started doing speaking engagements. I never imagined that, but then I started seeing, you know, I always look up when I see the lesson in the loss. There's always a lesson in the loss. And sometimes a loss is really a win. You know, and looking back at it, I've gotten that money 10 times over and the experiences I've gotten a million times over. So would I change it? I wouldn't. I go back and lose again and be the same person I am now because of all the stuff I've done, like money can't even match it. And the people's lives I've gotten to be a part of and help to motivate, go back to Liberia and help women who are now the breadwinners of their family because they lost their husbands in a war to teach them a craft. Because growing up, all the men who sold 
were just men. They were just all men. And you never saw a woman sewing. It was never something I saw growing up. So just to be able to do all that stuff, you know, it's been huge for me. So I appreciate um, when I hear those stories. You know, sometimes when you're the one pouring out all the time, you need something to pour into yourself. So those moments do pour back into me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's not a mistake. Got you. And that's that's dope. Um, you know, so we getting towards the tail end of everything. But I got to ask you this, too, as well. Um, so, you know, you had a lot of success in the fashion industry and, you know, it's took you, taking you all around the world. Has has there been points where you've been able to use your fashion to actually do some work that you feel like advance uh, things as far as like social change in the world too as well? Definitely. Um, the trip we went to do in Liberia, it was with an orphanage there that um, actually went to Liberia. They gathered a lot of the, the orphans that were just kind of running around the city. And um, through that work that we did, going back and, and teaching these women, these are like survivors of the coup in Liberia and of the war in Liberia, to be able to just touch them and see them and just see that, you know, they just needed to see me and touch me to know that they could do it. You know, another Liberian woman, I did a thing with um, Cheerios. It was called um, something for Stamp Out Hunger, just helping to feed people. And then sometimes, you know, when you have a lot, you forget those who don't have a lot, like little things like breakfast. Some kids don't have breakfast. They don't eat breakfast at school and they get there on time. If they don't get there on time, they don't eat. Um, they don't have summer programs. Like last year was tough for a lot of kids. You know, going to school was their life because they got to eat and they got to feel love. So just being a part of like all these, I've been a part of so many um, organizations, but you know, locally here, I do the Timmons Art Foundation. I teach summer camps. I actually teach kids and um, find talents in kids whose parents have no idea. I have to go down and meet their parents and be like, your son is a dope, dope, dope um, sketcher. You know what I mean? Your son painted this or made this so they can see it and they can hear it from me because me telling them means more than their child saying it. So just being a part of stuff like that, it it helps. And then to see these kids grow up and they see like, oh my God, Miss Kato, you know, like that stuff breaks my heart and it makes me happy all at the same time because you see them grow. You have no idea how much they're watching you. They're watching you, you know what I mean? Little boys are watching you and just seeing what you're doing and just idolizing you and you have no idea until they actually come and tell you, you know, because of you, this, this, and this. That stuff is amazing and it's humbling, but it's it's also reassuring that, you know, you're on the right path and you're doing the right thing. And um, sometimes, you know, dumbing yourself down so people can really reach you and not being untouchable helps. You know, a lot of celebrities live in the clouds. They lend the lane the stuff for money. But I think when you just do it because you want to do it, it's more um, rewarding. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you mentioned the, the pandemic, and I, I'm, I'm adding this question in there because I'm just curious. But you mm -hmm. mentioned the pandemic and how it like changed things for the kids, man. You know, they that's a place. School is a place they depend on getting you know love, meals. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kids love they when they love language is touching and feeling, man. They love to go hug their friends. They love all that <laughs> type of stuff, and so they they were missing out on that. And so mm -hmm. you know, this year them getting back to it, man, was good for a lot of people. But uh, how did how did the pandemic affect you as a fashion designer? I know, you know, I look up and keep up with you, man. You know, you always at the New York Fashion Week. You always mm -hmm. have uh, at least, uh, I believe, one big show in Little Rock every year, Designer's Choice Fashion Show. And, you know, you're constantly on the road and doing things and designing for people and, you know, just in that, just 
immersed in that fashion world. Um, how was the pandemic different? Uh, how, how did it make things different for you as a fashion designer? Well, everything stopped. <laughs> it was quiet. Fashion kind of died a little bit. Um, the industry suffered. I mean, New York shut down, LA shut down, China shut down. So it was rough for a bit, but honestly, I enjoyed the quiet time. I didn't realize how tired I was. I was grinding for like 13 years straight, nonstop, being a mom, having kids, being a wife, like all of that. Um, and it was draining. I didn't realize I was until I had to stop. And it took me a while. I didn't get onto the whole mask thing until later in the game. And then even when I did, it was like, then it became so stressful. I'm like, oh my God, why did I even do this? But um, I needed it, you know, and it's still kind of not where it used to be. Everybody's wearing joggers for life now. So it's going to be hard to get back into life and just get back into fashion and enjoy it again. But I think we just needed that. We needed that. Um, that invisible hand to come in. There was a lot of crap going on. Designers started talking about the stuff they were not going to do when, you know, the, the world opened back up. But it takes snatching stuff away from people for them to see what they had and reevaluate and reanalyze. So it was needed. You know what I mean? It was needed for me to know I don't have to say yes to every project. I don't have to deal with every client. You're not going to be disrespectful because you want this dress. I'm not doing it. So, yeah, it, my no game is strong as ever. And um, I think I'm kind of getting out of going into retirement as it pertains to just the old fashioned life. Now I want to do other things. Um, I want to do what I want to do. I have many talents and I'm about to put them all out there and hey. you know, do it my way. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with that right there. Ain't nothing wrong with that at all. Do what you want to do. I like that too. No, your no game is on real strong right now. Cause I'm gonna yeah. tell you, when people, one thing about it, man, uh, cell phones have made people feel like they do, they have earned the right to have 24 seven access to your life and accessibility to you because it like, I called you, answer for them, call me back. I emailed yeah. you, all that stuff. <laughs> like you need me. Like I got a call, I got a text at, um, a call at like 940 last night. And then when I didn't answer, the person texted me at 10 something. But I'm just like, what store is open right now? <laughs> you know, like, who's at work right now? Nobody. So just because you feel you have my number, the level of disrespect has to stop. So I'm not answering and I'm not responding. Um, you would get called the next day during business hours where I can reaffirm to you what those hours are. Um, but it's stuff like that. We just, we've become a disrespectful um, community. And I think people need to understand, like, you need me. I don't need you. I can just make random stuff and sell online. I don't need to actually do custom. That's a plus people get being in this community with me, that you get to get a, a custom prom dress. I don't have to put up with your tantrums. I have my own kids. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not doing it. Not having it. No doubt. So you heard it here first. Check yourself before you call me. Look at the clock. Hey, it gotta protect that mental space, man. Got it. You got yeah. to. All the way. Already. Well, we we trailing down to the last part of the interview, man. I, I call this segment turn off your microwave. For the listeners out there that have listened before, they know that this is the part of the show where I say, hey, um, you know, let's get out of that microwave society thinking. I think people are so used to like, you know what I'm saying, seeing seeing what needs to be changed and thinking like if I demand it right now, it's gonna happen right now. I think you can put up a status and then uh, have a protest or do a tweet or have one event and then it's forever changing. There's so much work that goes into that. 
And mm-hmm. so uh, just in your opinion, you know what I'm saying, in the fashion industry in, in general, you know what I'm saying, long-term solution wise, what would you like to see or what do you believe it takes for uh, like these brands, these fashion lines, in order for diversity, equity, and inclusion to be a, a, honestly a part of their platform, what are some things that you want to see these companies do that they aren't doing right now? And then also at the same time, for the people that's already in that industry, a lot of times, you know what I'm saying, when you black and you already in that position, we've uh, been accustomed to like, especially over the last 50 some years, to we feel so like, oh, I'm in this position now. I can't, I can't shake the boat. They feel yeah. like, you know, once you speak your voice, you get blacklisted. But honestly, right now, it's we telling people like, you're gonna have to listen to us in order for things to change. You can't, you, we, we gave y'all too much time to figure out the solutions and that's because we didn't have any input on it. So what right. do you wanna see long-term wise as far as like in the fashion world to address those issues? Definitely, um, I mean, for companies, you know, there's more opportunities that they can give. You have, like I said, you have like Target and H&Ms and who are offering other designers to come and take space on their their floorings. Banana Republic recently had a friend of mine um, have a, a, a collaboration with them. Those things elevate your brand. And if it doesn't cost anything for your company to just make these 10 looks and then highlight this designer that's been grinding forever. And we're not saying we don't want to do the work. I'll do the work. I'll show up with the bomb collection to, to audition for, for a spot on that floor. Um, but allowing that space to be given. Macy's recently just did a, a um, African-American female line of, from different designers. Open the spaces you have that we're not invited in easily and let us come in. Let us at least come in and get to your customers and say, hey, we do exist. And then bring that back to our companies, those things like magazines, allowing pages where you can have new designers be able to showcase their work, having that platform instead of the same. I mean, I was looking at InStyle Magazine at four of them. And I told a friend of mine, okay, let's all open the pages together. It was the same magazine for four months consecutively, the same ads, the same everything, nothing changed. And people are paying for this. You know what I mean? Like I miss the days where I used to buy magazines and see diversity to see something that was different that sparked creativity. Let's go back to the days where people actually worked for what they had, you know? Fashion Weeks is, is not important to me no more because now I go to Fashion Week and I'm not saying I'm Usain Bolt, but just imagine Usain Bolt at the Olympics and then um, you and I pop up next to him. Like, yeah, we here, you know, because we could get in because anybody can get in. No, he worked for that spot. Y'all have to start working for this stuff. You know what I mean? It's great. You know, we have open, you know, diversity and all this, but don't just give it to them because they're black. Don't give it to me because I'm black. Let me earn it. I don't mind earning it, but give me a shot. That's it. Got you. Got you. So we need we need people out there, you know what I'm saying, giving opportunities to the talented people who are working and grinding. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and, that, and that needs to be said because, you know what I'm saying, uh, that's a whole... Diff- different way of looking at, uh, at the definition of merit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times people merit be judged on who they know and, and you know yeah. what I'm saying? How they, they got enough to pay for it. Yeah, all that type of stuff. But you know, <laughs> the, ta- the talent the talent is out there. They just need the opportunities. Yeah. Well, okay. well, I'm going to end it with this right here, man. Uh, do you have any announcements or any next steps that people should know about? Because they will hear about what's going on this summer with you when we publish this. So, 
Awesome. Definitely check out my website. Every time I wear something, be like, where'd you get that? My website is katomomalu.com. Even just put kato, K-O-R-T-O. First thing will pop up will be my website. Show me you support me by supporting me. You don't have to love what I do, but maybe somebody else does. You can buy a gift certificate, a consultant, uh, um, a one-on-one with a, a future fashion student who just needs motivation. Support my business. By supporting my business, you're supporting me to grow. So don't say you love me. Show me you love me. Show me your love. <laughs> Already. We can all agree with that. Well, I'm showing you love. I appreciate you for coming on. Thank you. Hey, we live in the streets of Arkansas, you know what I'm saying, doing some big things right now. Shout out to you, Kato, for being here on the folding chair. And shout out to the Arkansas Public Policy Panel for having us do this episode today, man. It was a good look. I hope y'all got some good jewels. If you weren't listening, hey, don't worry about it. Just rewind it. You can catch all of this, man. The juice juice will be dropped like a butterfinger klepto in this joint. All right there. Peace. Thank you. Peace. Thanks for having me. All right.